Welcome to episode 208 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. This weekend, I'm hosting my high school reunion on Zoom. It's been 28 years since my class of over 1,300 students graduated from a suburban high school on Long Island, just an hour or so away from New York City. Despite changing my gender, name, and city, I've managed to reconnect over the years with a couple of hundred old friends on Facebook. We've gathered over 700 classmates in a Facebook group where we post lots of remember when memes. We didn't love the way our 10th and 20th reunions were organized, so we plan to take the next one into our own hands and self-organize with the help of our talented classmates. When we were planning our 25th reunion, meeting up in person was the only option discussed, and despite our best efforts, we never got enough interest to warrant organizing it. For over four years, I've been using Zoom for meetings, coaching sessions, masterminds, podcast interviews, and small group discussions. The idea of hosting a gathering for more than 20 people seemed impossible. I never looked into what Zoom could do beyond the basics, a video call. Why did it take a pandemic for me to realize I had the option to use breakout rooms on Zoom, if I knew to enable them? When I switched to Zoom, I was merely replacing Skype, which requires a login and caused my podcast guests and coaching clients angst because they could never remember their password. Now, I'm hosting a virtual reunion this week and plan to organize more of these leading up to our 30th in 2022, when it will hopefully be possible to organize an in-person event. While 60 RSVPs out of a class of 1,300 didn't give us the momentum to host a classmate-organized in-person 25th reunion, it would be a great turnout for a virtual one. Organizing a few of these leading up to our 30th might be the best way to get a lot of interest in attending an in-person reunion. Because really, we don't meet up in person because of how fancy the hotel is, but to meet up with old friends who don't feel like strangers. Although, I admit, I can't wait to hug a stranger once this pandemic is over. Your challenge for this week, leverage digital technology to reconnect and stay connected. You could use the Marco Polo video app to share updates with close friends. You could host a monthly or quarterly Zoom social. How about hosting a game night with the house party app, Jackbox, Dead TV, Kahoot, or any of the other online interactive games that are available? Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest helps her clients communicate more powerfully in today's digital age. Her pub method is an award-winning system that has helped thousands of sales, marketing, and leadership professionals type text, and post more persuasively. It helps them communicate more dynamically so they can attract attention, increase influence, and sell their ideas in a smarter way. She founded Socialite Agency, the world's only social media firm specializing exclusively in live events. For the last decade, Socialite has helped Fortune 100 brands catapult their social media success via award-winning digital activations and campaigns. Professional Convention Management Association, PCMA, awarded Socialite's work with Freeman XP as best social media across the entire meetings industry. She is the author of Digital Persuasion, Sell Smarter in the Modern Marketplace. 
an international keynote speaker, and a three-time entrepreneur who has been hired by the Academy Awards, the United States Navy, ABC, NBC, and Nelson Mandela's Legacy of Hope. Please join me in welcoming Aaron King. Thanks, Robbie, for having me. Thank you so much for joining us from your home in Laguna Beach, California. It is a thrill to have you on. And as you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership because people don't succeed in a vacuum. So, so tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Mm. Well, the first time I really saw a leader in action where I realized that was something that I wanted to do eventually was back when I was in college. I played Division I lacrosse for a small school. And I'll never forget, it was, she, was the, she was a senior captain and I was the freshman. And we were down at halftime. It was a really important game for our, our division. And at this time, it was, it was in the early days where uh, colleges were being asked to enforce Title IX, which is the law that, you know, you have to have the same amount of scholarship money for girls sports as guys sports. And we had had all this controversy. It had recently been enforced the year that I went, my freshman year. So I had a scholarship. I'll never forget, I was at a party one time and one of the basketball team guys made a comment about how girls sports were taking money from their actual careers that could be an actual thing. And no one wants to see women's lacrosse. And what are you gonna do? Play professional women's lacrosse and all this stuff. And so we had this a lot of pressure on our shoulders. I'll never forget halftime at the game, we're down. Our coach gives us, us the big pep talk rally, but it didn't really work. She walks out of the room, we're all kind of like not feeling it. And this the team captain goes, guys, listen, this game is not about lacrosse. This is not about just a score. This is not about just getting out there and doing what the coach said. This is bigger than us. This is us needing to prove to our haters, our doubters, people that think we don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve this money. It is up to us to prove them wrong. We are here to show people that women can be athletes just like guys. And we are here so that the next class of incoming freshmen gets the same amount of money that you did for future generations. This is not about us. It's bigger than a game. And we all just got chills and we went out there and played our hearts out for this bigger mission than the game. And we ended up winning. And I'll never forget seeing her in action. I I get like emotional talking about it. And I was like, wow, like that's a leader. A leader is someone that helps us see our bigger mission, our bigger purpose and feel inspired to go for it. And ever since then, I just wanted to be her, basically. So that was where I first saw it in action. Amazing for someone who, you know, she was a young woman herself, mm-hmm. you know, probably like 20 years old and yeah. able to provide that kind of like heart to heart that even the coach didn't inspire in you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the, the coach who had obviously had some experience, but maybe didn't understand like there's a visceral way that she was this you know, team captain was able to communicate with you because she was also sharing that experience of mm-hmm. feeling like a lot of pressure, hearing what peers were saying, wanting to prove people that yeah. like, this is, this is what we deserve to have and tapped into that for you. Yeah. And it's a really good point. And what was, I think the second lesson that I saw in action was that the named leader with the title 
isn't necessarily always the one that actually, to your point, delivers real leadership. And so even though the, so the coach was supposed to be the leader, team captain, yeah, she had the title, but technically in the hierarchy, right? She kind of reports to the coach, but she, she didn't, she wasn't trying to circumvent the coach. She wasn't trying to one-up her. She wasn't trying to be this Disney movie hero at halftime kind of thing. She was just speaking from her heart and it was, it was really powerful. So I always think about her in situations where, whether it's my team, my contractors, even friends, family, situations where someone needs to step up, instead of just going for the ego, going for the buzzwords, going for who talks the loudest and takes up the floor the most time, I always think about this girl from college and I think, what is the bigger mission here? What's the bigger purpose? And I don't know if I always nail it or not. I'm sure I don't. I know I don't nail it a lot of the times, but just coming from a place of what is the bigger, what is bigger than us? it helps to kind of ground what to say and how to take that first step forward. So if you're a leader and you're listening and you find yourself in a scenario right now and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know really even where to start with this. What is the bigger mission than even you or your team can even see right now? How can you elevate that? And you'll probably get yourself off on the right foot. So it all feels really, really powerful. And like the chills that are coming are real. I, I want to know what kind of kid you were, though, because I imagine like even before you were exposed to this opportunity and this leadership um, in college, like that there was a way you showed up in the world. And I'm wondering, you know, you, you're, you have so much energy, Aaron. It's like you're hopping off the screen, right? It's wonderful. So were you, was that, was that who you were like as a kid? Were you like on a playground or an like junior high and high school, did, did a lot of people know you? Were you kind of organizing people to do stuff? Were you running for office? Or were you like the quiet kid who no one bothered with? Well, I really believe, Robbie, that the person that you are right now is probably the same kid that you were. I mean, we really, and if you have, like, I have a ton of younger cousins. My sister's 11 years younger than me. My brother's younger. If you ever raised kids or have been around kids, you know their personality. I mean, my my nephew is not even one. And already his personality is so clear. I mean, I really believe that we are who we are. And so unfortunately for my parents, who are two Virgo parents, who are very uh, calm and organized and orderly, as you know, Robbie, because I called you out in our pre-talk and I said, are you a Virgo? Because you're very deliberate and organized and grounded, which is why you're so successful. Um, but so they were very, they liked order and calm and a very pristine household. And I was a fiery hellion that was just wrecking stuff and spilling stuff. And there was just mess everywhere and drama. And I was just this like hurricane in their perfectly calm world. So, and my siblings are very much like my parents, very similar. They're all kind of cut from the same cloth. So unfortunately I was the black sheep in my family. Um, when I was in uh, middle school, I was bullied big time because I did not I didn't do the quiet girl play by the rules thing. And I was just being myself and I didn't know any better. I learned the lesson that people say be yourself verbally, but the nonverbal is actually you should fit in. And so I learned that lesson the hard with a lot of heartbreaking tears. I mean, I did not do well in middle school. High school, I was really fortunate. My parents sent me to an all-girls Catholic high school in Baltimore. It was the greatest experience of my life. All nuns ran this thing. It was girl power to the max. So, you know, I was the team captain for my lacrosse team. I ran for, you know, class vice president. Like we were, as women, we were the class presidents and the team captains. And so it, then I went back out to college and it was back to sort of the rules of the world. And I kind of forgot. And I, and I struggled in college a little bit because 
you know, we're playing lacrosse, we were on scholarship, you know, and I had to almost kind of revert back to the middle school rules in order to fit in again. So I've always struggled with, you know, who I am, which is a big personality, a jock, you know, um, aggressive, like all the things that guys don't like about girls pretty much. And so I struggle with being myself and who I am. And then also playing by society's unwritten rules that girls really aren't supposed to act like that. I know it sounds crazy in 2020, but even, even when you look at, you know, you and I are both speakers, you can get away with doing all kinds of stuff on stage that people are like, yes, you know, what a leader, assertive. And, you know, when I do that on stage, I get comments when I have a mixed audience, they either love me or they're like, mm, I don't know, she should soften up. I've gotten the comment, I need to soften up. Now, tell me if you've ever gotten that on your speaker feedback form, Robbie, to soften up. What does it even mean? <laughs> never, <laughs> never. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's getting better. Look, I mean, there's so much happening right now in the world. Everyone has their mission. Everyone has what they're fighting for when it comes to fairness. And, and certainly people, you know, uh, uh, we have a certain privilege that other people don't have. And and everyone's mission is different in the context of their experience. But um, I do feel that, yes, I am who I've always been. And I still struggle with in corporate environments, trying to adhere to the norms, which is what does a CEO look like? What does a female leader look and sound like? Um, a lot of my girlfriends, you've had a lot of them on the show that are incredible leaders. You have two thirds of your guests, which are females, which is incredible. Um, and so you know that there is this constant double bind of liked, but not respected or respected, but not liked. And we're constantly trying to exist at this tough intersection. Oh, so good. So a couple of things I want to kind of pull out from there. Um, one is my wife and I are both really into spreadsheets and we've joked that we're going to end up with like one of our kids being just done with them, you know, like kind of like, um, family ties and Alex P. Keaton, like, you know, like that kind of thing, you know, the super liberal parents raising the Republican. I feel it's going to be like that. Like we're like, so into our lists and our spreadsheets and our organizing (laughs) that they're going to be like, no done. I don't want any more of that. Um, so it hasn't happened yet, you know, but like there's still two and a half and four and a half. So who knows, but it is is kind of funny. Um, but I do think like you, you were probably aware because you were a little different from the rest of your family. You were aware of that difference from an early age. Uh, whereas if you had grown up in that environment where that was the norm, then you maybe wouldn't have been as aware of like those differences. So it's sort of interesting the context I love that you had the opportunity to go to a women's school, a girls, a girls' school in high school, and able mm-hmm. to thrive in that environment and see what leadership looks like when you're not, you know, struggling against the norms. Um, when mm-hmm. it is the norm to, that women are leaders, I'm curious how this all set yourself up. Um, you know, today I know you as a speaker, but prior to all this, you know, what were your first aspirations heading into your, to a career? You went to college. What was your plan? What, where, where were you headed next, and where did you go next? Well, this is going to be very uncomfortable for you because I know you're a planner, Robbie. I am not a planner. I'm still not a planner. I really am not. And I, I can see your face right now. <laughs> you're like, what? Um, I'm, I'm not. And luckily my husband is, and he also loves a good spreadsheet. There's actually a, um, you can, you, you guys can't see because of the audio here, but there is a book on Excel that is about this big and it's not a textbook. It's just a, a, a pleasure reading book. A pleasure <laughs> reading book. That's like as big as, um, 
like five, five inches, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wow. So, um, so yeah, I didn't really have a plan. I, I graduated from school and my dad was like, you need to get a job. Um, he had a plan called the four and one. He played college football at uh, Georgetown. So everything in my entire childhood was explained to me in sports analogies. <laughs> so my dad, he'd be like, all right, huddle up team. Here's the plan. And you're like, I'm not following any of this. But um, so he said the four and one was you get four years of college and one wedding, and then you're off the payroll. And so it was like, okay, that's really generous, by the way. A lot of people don't get any of that. People get the zero for zero. And so I felt really fortunate. But the minute that I graduated college, he was like, sayonara, good luck, go get him. And, and it was the best thing he ever did was to say, you'll figure it out. And I never forget calling him one night, bawling, crying, couldn't pay the bill, couldn't do whatever. And he goes, he said, E, I love you, but I know you'll figure it out. And he hung up and I boohooed and poor me and my 1% like problems. And I did figure it out. I went and got a job. Um, I was slinging TV ads in Baltimore city. It was anchorman meets the wire selling PowerPoints to local businesses that I cold called out of this huge yellow thing called the phone book, which you might recall from the, from the nineties. And it was a great experience getting shot down and rejected on the regular and it was awesome training for my sales and marketing background. Um, and from there, I never really had a plan. I just knew in that first job, there was um, my counterpart was this guy named James. And I'll never forget, we were both up for the same promotion, James and I. And I had better sales numbers than James. So as usual, I was overconfident, which is my, my weakness a lot of times. And he had been playing a lot of golf with the boys club. So the time came down for it. I'm like, it's totally my promotion. Obviously, I'm the best. And James got it. And I was, I went home and I boohooed again. I, I love a good feeling. Sorry for myself. Cry. And then I get the game plan, but I was like, this is crazy. But then I realized in that moment that you have to take your own future into your own hands. Otherwise you are constantly responding to someone else's steering of your path. And so at that moment I jumped ship and started my first company, which was called jump digital media, building websites because I was a terrible employee and I wanted to make money. And, um, one year later I had to close it down because I was a terrible money manager. I was 25 years old. I didn't know what I was doing. I got in a debt. I got sued big girl problems at 25 and got a job. And I worked in corporate uh, running social media for a company called auction.com, which was like an eBay for real estate. And we launched their very first social platforms. I was working with Fortune 100 partners and clients. I was in big board meetings, making incredible connections with major, major thought leaders and major executives and got the experience I needed to then start my company, which I've had now for 10 years, which is Socialite Agency. So, but it was rocky up until then. And um, so I didn't really have a plan. I just knew that I really liked feeling like I wasn't working. I liked the feeling of that black hole you get into when you're creating and you don't know how three hours just went by. That's just, if you're going to spend so much time doing this, do you enjoy it? Can you find a way to make it work for you? Do you have a bigger purpose, a bigger mission around what you're doing every day? So that's kind of how I fell into the, the place that I am now. Well, thank you for that brilliance kind of tour through the years. I mean, what's, what's fun is that while you didn't have a plan, you, you had a sense of what would work for you, what wouldn't work for you, and a willingness to try things and go out of, out of your comfort zone. And, and there are moments of despair, but they didn't seem like they lasted very long compared to the action you then took, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you got hung up for a little bit and then you were like, okay, 
I'm going to try this next thing and see what happens. And you didn't yeah. just like stay stuck for like years in one place. And that it was, it's a learning. I mean, like 20s are great for that. <laughs> That's what you're Well, yeah, it's, it's, you're right. And, and failures are just commas. They're not periods. You know, you gotta, you gotta take those failures. And I've had so much of it. I mean, I started a company called PMS.com. Have I told you this? Uh, PMS.com, which is a dollar shave club for women's healthcare needs. I remember reading about this when I was learning (laughs) a little more about who you are. And I actually thought this was so genius. And it seems like just so genius. Right. Because just like razors (laughs) that get used every month and you got to keep buying them. And who wants to keep going to the store? And like the convenience factor and the buying in bulk factor and all. I mean, it just was it before it's time. It, so thank you for saying that. I agree. I always forgot to have it on hand. I thought it was brilliant. The investors that I raised seven figures of capital from agreed, right? Everyone, and by the way, which I raised capital from a table of alpha male Newport Beach tan bros, alpha bros. I mean, I'm holding up a tampon. Just visualize this, okay? Huge boardroom, sparkling Pacific Ocean, a bunch of tan. They drive the fast cars. Newport Beach, like you see on the reality shows. And I am holding up a tampon, only girl in the room, and telling them why this is going to be the future. And they... They wrote the check. They said, go for it. They, they To their credit, they said, look, we bet on the jockey, not the horse. We don't know this horse, but we like this jockey, so we're going to give you a go. And guess what? It was a very high moment. I, I was on Skype in the middle of the night with Chinese distributors to try and find the right... I was going to the Long Beach port, you know, picking up supplies from China, dealing with FDA regulations, you know, learning how to build an e-commerce business. It was crazy. A three-letter URL that was very valuable. And the whole experience, I thought it was going to be brilliant too, but I, what happened was it turned out two things. Number one, um, most women are just responsible adults. They just pick them up at the grocery store. It's not a big deal. <laughs> and the second thing I learned was that uh, the two big players in the market, um, they have cornered this market, these bohemians, but kind of like Gillette, right? Which Dollar Shave Club was able to disrupt Gillette successfully. But what I noticed the difference is, is that a razor is on the outside of your face. It's something that is not as intimate as a device that goes in your body. So women were very loyal to something that was a little bit more intimate than like the average Joe just like uses any razor or whatever. So they were very brand loyal. Um, and the good news is there were several imitators. I mean, if you Google tampon delivery services, there's five or six other brands that launched and none of them figured out how to make it a profitable model. So my only consolation prize, when all was said and done, we had to sell the URL. The URL was more valuable than the, the profits from the business because the margins were so tough to make. Um, but when we sold the business, I kind of broke even when all was said and done. The investors would not consider it a huge win. I mean, technically, it was not a great investment for them. But when I look at all the different competitors, not one person figured it out in the long run. So my consolation prize is it's not like someone figured it out and I didn't. It just, it's not, it, it just wasn't a good, you know, subscription models are tough is the bottom line. So, you know. So I have my like business strategy coach brain on right now <laughs> for a second because I work yeah. with a lot of clients yeah. who get these brilliant ideas and they get like some general feedback that it's really, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the ask method, Ryan's like the ask method really yep. covers this in some detail. And actually his example where it's like, you know, what are people who are trying to raise orchids need? And he hears water. We don't have much water. We don't have much water. But he hears that from everybody to the point where every time he gets a call, he assumes it's going to be at one point, someone will say, yeah, we're not sure how much water. So he goes and he does a course on that. And it turns out nobody wants it. 
because it's not an urgent problem. It's just like, ah, I wish I knew. But then he went back and looked at everything and realized that there was a few responses that went into incredible detail about, let's say, you know, transferring the plant and everything they did to try to make that transfer happen successfully and everything they worried about. And they would talk about it for three minutes. And so it wasn't everybody, but that need was way more urgent. And I think that's the thing that we get these ideas that sound so good. And we even get like general affirmations, but, but unless the level of urgency matches, it's mm-hmm. just like it's a little annoyance, but not something people feel like they want to change their life about to like fix it. They're like, well, well I'll, figure, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. It's, it's not that bad. It's, you know, I'll figure it out. You know, so, so it's just, I think it's one of those moments that you, know, you get is like, I can see all of us doing this, by the way. It's such a good example to bring up because when you we described it, I was like, that's like a really good idea. <laughs> Which is the problem. To this day, I will I will not have supplies. And I'll be like, is this a joke? Former CEO of PMS.com still doesn't have supplies on hand. Like this was, a, I'm still like, it was a good idea, but it wasn't because to your point, it didn't solve an urgent need. It didn't. And that's a great right. question for anyone listening. You have a, just because you have a brilliant idea and everyone, I mean, we were featured in Forbes. Everyone told us it was brilliant. It wasn't brilliant. It didn't solve an immediate need powerfully enough at that moment. And that's all that matters when it comes to working backwards from that success strategy. So I have to just tell you the opposite's happening in our house when the okay. pandemic hit yeah, and we took stock of what we had in the house and what we might need to buy because we were planning to buy groceries. Like We thought we were only going to be able to buy groceries like once a month from a delivery service because they were just like no delivery people. And first, we had a year's supply. <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> because hey, we buy in bulk yeah. at Costco and whenever Smart. there was a coupon at CVS and <laughs> we just like tucked away in the bottom of a closet. Yeah. We had a friend come over who was helping us organize something and she saw everything we had like this was like six months ago. She's like, why do you have enough for like the apocalypse? And then when the pandemic uh, hit, we were like, well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things. So well, I, I will I, tell you, if, if you try to yeah. sell the bulk of them, the margins are tough. You got to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> you know. They're not going to make any money off them. Yeah. So um, this is really, I mean, I, I think that these are lessons, painful ones to learn. Hopefully people can hear it and maybe apply it to things that they're working on in life. And I also heard in your story that you ended up getting a job in corporate and that put you in a, in a position to be not just learning a lot, but being connected really well connected. Mm-hmm. So talk a little about what that was like. I mean, you were what, you're by your thir- like late, tw- late 20s, early 30s mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, I mean, Robbie, I'm 21, obviously. So yeah, yeah clearly. <laughs> yeah, late 20s. Um, and I, I, I will say one of my mentors is um, a gal. She's an executive in San Francisco and she's former Microsoft. Uh, she's run multiple startups, the insurance commercials with the superheroes. That was her marketing campaign. Uh, her name is Megan Hanley. She's incredible. And I didn't have a lot of female mentors coming up in the, in the business world for whatever reason. I always worked for these. I was always the only gal at the table every time. And, and I don't know how I found myself in those positions, but she was someone that I looked up to to see how you can run with the boys club appropriately and, and powerfully because they're the ones that have the power to say yes. They're the ones that have the power to promote you and you need them to be your advocates. Um, unfortunately, because there's just numbers, only 3% or whatever the latest stat is um, are at the highest levels of decision-making in, in major Fortune 100 organizations. Um, we still have so much work to do, but um, you know, she was the one that I don't know, this has been 10 years now, so I don't, I'm not going to get her in trouble because she's not there anymore, but I don't know if she knew for sure 
that I was starting my own side venture, which was Socialite. Um, but she certainly, uh, she didn't question certain things that I was doing. Maybe if I had to leave for one too many mystery calls outside the building. Um, but, and, and, you know, I, I did, I, I, anyone that says they're not spending some time on their side hustle when they're at their full-time hustle, is probably lying because you just don't have enough hours in the day. And I don't know the ethics around that. I don't know the rules around that. I just know that I probably spent a couple hours a day while I was doing my normal corporate job, building my dream on the side. And yes, at night and yes, on the weekends, but it's just one of those things where I'll never forget. I, I said, look, I'm going to make the jump from my corporate job to my full-time, make my, my side hustle, my full-time hustle. When I have, she said, make sure you have um, 90 days. You have three months of your corporate salary booked from clients on the side. And when you have 90 days, when you have three months that you could live for three months, if nothing else came in, that's when you're ready to make the jump. And so I did. Once I had those three months, I was like, maybe I should wait for six months or maybe a year. And you're just never ready. You're ne- you can be prepared, but you're never ready. You just got to go for it. So it went from kitchen table. I had one client. Then I had two clients. Then I had three clients. Then I had a gal that I hired that was working at my kitchen table at my house while I was going to my corporate job. And eventually, over the last 10 years, uh, we got one massive client, which was the Oscars. And that client led to the agency exploding. Everyone else, you know, Nelson Mandela's Legacy of Hope and Fashion Week and Visa and all these crazy clients all came from this one watershed client. And so, you know, how, I guess the takeaway is if you feel like you're slogging away at your small business and when are we going to scale? When are we going to explode? When's it going to be our moment? It only takes one major moment to change the trajectory in the course of your entire business. So here's the question I have. If you're slogging along, Aaron, in you know, smaller than you hoped for way, how do you have the mindset to believe that you could fulfill on the promise of this, I mean, the Oscars? <laughs> like how do, yeah. you, how do you even shoot for that star after uh, slogging away for a while? Like what was that shift for you? Or do you just always have that drive? No, no. The shift for me was one of my girlfriends is an incredibly intuitive, energetic. Uh, she basically lives the law of attraction that, you know, the secret Rhonda Byrne, the whole, that was a big craze. What 10, 15. And she's the one that told me that thoughts create things that what you visualize, you materialize. And so she told me to write down the dream clients that I thought were way out of my reach and way, way not possible. And then to lie to myself. And tell myself that I already had them. So what happened was I actually socialite. I had the one client at the kitchen table. And I was working really hard. This is before I made the jump um, from auction.com. And I couldn't pay a $100 cell phone bill. I, I literally remember I didn't have, I had not managed my money properly. And I said, I'm going to give myself like another month. And if I can't pay this bill, like it just stick with the job and give up the hustle. And I made the list. And I remember thinking to myself, the Oscars is the most absurd crazy thing I could ever imagine. And I, (laughs) this sounds so crazy. I bought the dress that I was going to wear to the Oscars who didn't know who I was and 
wasn't going to be my client. I told myself that I had the Oscars. I wrote it down. I would like kind of talk to myself in my journal and say like, we had such a great time in today's meeting. We just love talking about the strategy around backstage pass and all this stuff. Like I went to crazy town. I pretended like a psycho that I already had them. And it was crazy because I do my pub method, which is personal, useful, brief messages that I send out to people to get business at the time. And I sent out a message to the top 10 crazy clients and nine of them, of course, ignored me. One of them, the message was something stupid about her dogs. Love your beautiful Huskies. Looks like you are from the Midwest. Um, I was going through your content and I saw that you have an attention problem because the Oscars are way too long and everyone gets super bored and it's a snooze fest. What if you had something cool where backstage you could have cameras and people could see what's really happening unscripted between Matt Damon, you know, and Brad Pitt. And I just kind of created this idea for her. The whole thing was, you know, one paragraph. And she wrote back, I'm interested, tell me more. And that's what opened, that one message opened an opportunity of being personal and useful and brief that led to a meeting that led to me sitting there in LA in my beat up, you know, Middle Eastern looking Iraqi Prius that looked been through a war, it's so beat up, looking at this contract and crying into it because we had, I had gotten the Oscars. I, had, I hired all my friends. We faked it till we made it. But I had visual, I had told myself that we were going to get it the whole time and it, it worked and, and we went and we rocked it and it, and it, we got a great testimonial and this gal, Laura Allen, who's the producer of the Oscars is still a dear friend to me. And, and it's something that is possible. I was working for my kitchen table and then my agency became real. So the answer is you have to be a little bit crazy and you have to lie to yourself and you have to go to crazy town and believe that this is happening for you. It's going to happen. It has to happen. I'm going to just also add on to everything you just said, which is you have to also take action. You know, like journaling wasn't enough. It was a mindset, you know, you're putting yourself into a different mindset to, to think about it. But until you took some action, which is that you reached out with your personal, usable and brief message, like nothing would have happened. And what if the, initially the first time you reached out, no one responds, like, do you follow up? Like, do you have a, a regular schedule that you ping them every three months just to kind of keep top of mind? Like, do you have a belief in yourself to the point where you don't give up after one, like it didn't happen? Uh, or do you not even try? Because you're like, even if I got it, I don't really deserve it. Like, there's so much about your story that is like actionable, not just wishful thinking, you know? And I think that it. this is, I believe a lot about abundance. Like I have a philosophy of abundance that, I mean, my mantra is I am enough, I have enough, I choose to live with abundance. I am enough, I have enough, I choose to live with abundance. And my like, my like um, kryptonite are people who are really scarcity minded. Like when I'm around people like that, I'm just like, like, I just like, I just physically we need to leave. I don't, I just cannot be in those relationships. Because because I think it'll seep into my thoughts. Like, I just don't want to live that way. But I do think that like, believing it and then doing something to take action around it and saying, you know, I'm going to keep doing it and keep taking the action. I'm going to keep, there's something about that that is really there too. So it's, it's not just like, I mean, it's funny because I've never actually watched or read The Secret, which is so funny because it's clearly a thing that I would, I get. And people have said, oh, you're just like that. I'm like, well, it's a belief I've sort of developed. But I also think saying it's just like thinking into existence almost 
takes away everything you actually did. Like even the, even the writing in the journal was an action, right? The buying the dress was an action. Like you didn't just like think, oh, this is going to happen to me. You're like, no, I'm going to make this happen for me. Yep. What do you think? It's the it's the one two punch, right? It's it's the it's the physical actualization of action with the mental mindset, mental mindset, the mindset of this is happening, this is going to happen, and there and that's it. Um, I mean, I the guy I was dating at the time. This is really embarrassing. My husband finds this story very disturbing, but the guy I was dating at the time asked me how business was going. And I told him that the Oscars were our client, which they weren't. So that was a lie. But, and my husband's like, what's the line between delusion and lying? He's like, I don't, cause he's very practical. He's spreadsheets, he's science, he's a programmer, he's an engineer. He's like, I don't understand. This is lying. I'm like, it's not lying. It's, it's actualizing. He's like, help me understand. I'm like, I don't know. You're like it. method acting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, like, I'm really in character here. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, I, I, this is, you know, and I'm not supposed to tell people this story. You know, I'm writing a new book and my editor's like, don't tell people this, but it's, I'm obviously very open as you can tell, but I actually put the logo for the Oscars on our website before we'd even had a meeting with them, which is not, don't, I'm not advocating that you do that. That is totally lying. That is totally illegal. But I was so obsessed with this happening. I mean, I, I bought the dress. I put the logo. I lied to my boyfriend. I, I made this, I, I create, I said, well, how can I serve them? What did they need? What do they need that they don't have? And I created this whole idea for this, this backstage pass. And the gal had already been thinking in this direction already. And she said, that's funny. I was just discussing a similar concept. I see, you know, how would you promote this? How would you get, we created an influencer army. We drove all these downloads, lowest cost per download of all the different marketing channels. Um, but it was just this whole combo, right? Of, of what can you offer to make someone's life easier in a very personalized way? And then just believing it to, to, and everyone has different tolerance or threshold for crazy town. I recognize that mine is off the charts to the point of maybe (laughs) being concerning or illegal. I get that. I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying, find what your threshold is for being able to step in this and walk the walk and see it. And then combo that with how can you Give them something that's going to save them time, save them money, or save them pain. So just to take the spotlight off you for a second, I want to yeah. tell you that um, <laughs> I, I've been working with my peer mastermind around like word of the year, right? Like it's a real part of intentionality. And so the end of last year, I was like, what do I want next year to be about? And I'm really good at building a business as far as like, you know, check marking podcasts for four years, a book that has over 200 reviews. Um, did a TEDx, right? Like ran a coaching program, had this kind of clients, paid a lot of money to speak, all those things. But I'm not good at consistent revenue because I haven't focused on it. I've been busy doing a lot of things that are non-revenue, but are really important to me as far as brand building and helping out and building. It's why people know me. It's why, you know, but I was like, okay, next year has to be the word revenue. Like it makes you feel a little squeamish to make that the focus because I don't like to choose things based on money. But so it has to be aligned, aligned revenue. Like, okay, so here I am, about to launch a whole new plan around my speaking at a new topic around um, the year two experience for people who are going to events. So I, my thing is I create, I help organizations create more engaging experiences. I help participants do better on actualizing their intentions around networking. The problem isn't the first year. The problem is the second year because no one's there to support them year two. So I had this whole thing. 
And I gave myself a deadline of getting it out the door by March. I had started in September, but I got a little distracted with my TEDx. Here it's March. I bought a system for doing outbound. Okay, March happened. What happened in March? <laughs> the world <laughs> blew up. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was like, yeah, it's like, you know, here you make all these plans and, you know, the, the universe laughs, right? <laughs> okay. Now here we are in, in sometime in June and I have made more money in this like last few months than I had made last year. Like, like there's, and not just made money, but have like a regular reoccur. Like I've made money, like a blip. <laughs> I've yeah. like, I've gone like, oh my God, so much money. And like nothing's reoccurring. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, not sustainable. Right. But I have like a sustainable model. I have multiple revenue possibilities all in play. Some of them are really like forming into real revenue streams. And so it is something where, you know, in one sense, my world was taken away because my work is about in-person events. Like I'm teaching, like I'm best known for teaching people body language and handshakes. You know how relevant that is right now? <laughs> oh my gosh. Not at all. Wow. Like my TEDx is about how to stand so that when you're at a networking event, people will approach you. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm so glad I did it in 2019 because it's not relevant and won't be for a uh. long time. So can you wallow in that or do you take action? Yeah. And so I started hosting a virtual happy hour on March 13th, a weekly virtual event that has led to all these other possibilities. And I'm still doing it and it's still free. You can go to nomorabadzoom.com to check it out. So it's just become like, you have to take action. You have to have a belief in it, but you also have like, if I just sat there thinking, oh, but this is supposed to be my year. This is supposed to be my year. This is supposed to be the, that wouldn't have, I remember feeling really stuck. Like I have no idea how to move forward. But when I go back and think about when that was, that was March 11th for right. the day. Right, right. <laughs> like well, Mar can... maybe into March 12th. Like March yeah. 11th and into March 12th, I felt so <laughs> stuck. Like yeah. how do I show up? How do I add value? How do I, and then I wrote an, a nine ways to network in a pandemic article. RobbieSimers.com forward slash nine ways. <laughs> and then it like it all fell into place, right? So yeah. there's a I think you, you know, this is a I think you have to set sights and you have to take action at the same time. Well, a couple of takeaways from your story. Okay. First of all, congratulations. That's incredible because a lot of people have been feeling stuck, not just you. As my husband always tells me, he's like, you realize this isn't just happening to you. He's like, get <laughs> over yourself. I'm like, I'm like, but I, 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 in my year and blah, he's like, this is happening to everyone. This isn't, you're not in a vacuum. Like you're not Beyonce, get over yourself. I'm like, all right. But, um, but so, so number one, but kudos to you for getting unstuck. Um, number two, you're talking about a, a transformational shift that happened three months ago, 90 days ago. I mean, three months is, is nothing. And, and I think the takeaway people are listening right now are that whether it's you decide you're going to say yes and to the crap that's happening right now and change everything and set yourself on the biggest success trajectory yet, it can happen like that in three months. It can happen for me with one message. I mean, it's you have to realize it that you know Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point is a really great book. It's a real thing. You try, you try, you try, and then it's the one thing. It's like when you see a celebrity or you know an influencer, and you're like, "Wow, the overnight success!" No, ten years in the making. Exactly, and so <laughs> and so you're about to, if you're listening to this, you're 
in 90 days, you can go from, I'm so stuck to, I'm having my best year yet. You can go from, I'm trying to start this company from my kitchen table, you know, time three and one message leads to a moment that can change your entire life. And so stick with it. Yeah. Stick with it. I actually, it got affirmed that I was doing something like it really was working. I got a um, LinkedIn message from someone I was not connected to at all. Like not even, not even second degree or anything. And it said, you've been recognized as an industry professional as a leading, or as a top, you've been recognized as a top industry professional in the world of online event design. And we'd like you to do a five minute video for part of our, our event series because they're event design company, like an in-person event design company who's highlighting other people doing this work as they are also shifting online. And I was just like, right, yeah. right. Of course that's happened. Yeah. Like, of course, someone I don't know who's like way removed from me like has heard, like, of course, you know, yeah. It, but, you know, three months ago, this wasn't even a thing I wanted. Right. Well, it's funny because what you've done is you've plugged in and tapped into something. And once you plug in and tap in, you almost stop being surprised because you realize like, yes, of course, because you've plugged into this higher energetic reality. You've, you've altered your own reality intentionally. And so you cease being surprised and you begin to double down on this gratitude and this also, yep. Yeah. Cause that's where we're going. Right. So it's, yeah, it is true. There's definitely, um, I think when you got the Oscars, you probably were grateful, but also like, of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's the difference, right? Because people, it's not, yes, of course, it's not an entitlement. It's not a deserving. It's not a, well, good things just happened to me. It's not diva. It is, it is, I have logged the hours and the time and the tr- blood, sweat, and tears. And it's, it's the same as when you see professional athletes that are interviewed after winning the Super Bowl or winning a gold medal, you can tell they have this sense of, they're not like, I can't believe it. They're like, yeah, yeah, I freaking won this. I just spent the last three years of my life training and visualizing like, yeah, I'm a gold medal winner. You know, it, it, and it's not entitled. It's grateful, but it's also, you earned it. Yeah. Very different than the person who wins like a lottery or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which is like, yeah. oh my gosh, this happened to me. You know, and you're right. like, yeah, versus the person who work. I mean, I think it's just so hard for anyone listening who has not yet hit that inflection point. Yeah. The, the tipping point, by the way, was such a good book to bring up for this. And I hope people do look for it. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. That book, I, I mean, I must've read that 20 years ago and it, it did have such an impact in the way I think about the world. And um. And I, and I think that you can, th- even today, there's so many lessons, you know, because you're sort of plodding along, plodding along. And then like, what is that point that you hit, that inflection point, the tipping point? And for some people, they could quit right before that happens. Like that's the danger of not persevering. By the way, I almost quit this show two years ago. So I was just telling you that I hit my four-year anniversary when I'm interviewing you. And I, I almost quit it because I had a plan to do it for two years and I had this other idea and I was like, maybe I'll start that other idea. And then I, I explored the, I actually got a, um, a trademark for the other idea, which is like not a thing I do for my actual business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I was serious. And then I realized that I had something already that needed to just keep growing. Like, and it's been an incredible last two years. Like I would have missed Everything I, you know, it's sort of like the joy of building. You have to kind of get past the joy of building. 
Totally. And, and it's interesting that you bring that up because a lot of people are calling the times, the season that we're in right now, they're calling it this roller coaster. We're on this roller coaster. And I, I disagree with that completely. Because if you're on a roller coaster, you can see when the roller coaster is going down, you can see if you're approaching a hill, you at least have some visibility into what's coming. This season is more like being on a plane with crazy turbulence and you don't know when you're going to land. And the difference of riding in that plane and you don't know when you're going to land is that there's not this place of arrival. So let's say you have had your, your Oscar moment. You have had your Robbie best year moment. You have had this thing that doesn't guarantee that you are going to stay atop the mountain of best lifeness because you're on a plane with turbulence right now. For example, I had the biggest speaking year booked yet in 2020, like many of our listeners and like many of your guests. And I was, you know, I was just in on a, a, a gig with, I was headlining with John Maxwell, Suze Orman, Mel Robbins, another one I host with Malala. I mean, I am the no one of these lineups and I am like, wow, this is going to be so incredible to learn from these people and share the stage and share the audience. Well, everything, as you know, has changed. And so all of a sudden overnight, you listening may have lost your job, been furloughed, lost the gigs, lost the money. Again, we're all in this together. However, we all have the same level opportunity on some levels. Not, I mean, obviously the, the, the playing field is different depending on who you are and where you are in life. I'm not saying everyone has the exact same opportunity. We know that based on the, the temperature of today's times, obviously. Um, however, where you are in your space, you can transform it like Robbie with the 90-day complete transformation. For me, I turned a camera on and I recorded all of my best content for a week straight. And my husband and I learned Kajabi and we created my very first online course called the social media spa. And now is slinging spa courses for a couple hundred bucks a pop, even remotely close to the same excitement of walking on stage with 18,000 people and getting, you know, the, the fun, you know, traveling and meeting people and all the great stuff. No, but it's better than just sitting there feeling sorry for ourselves and drinking too much wine and waiting for it to be over. I mean, the biggest thing I'm talking about right now with my audiences is, is right now you have two choices and I'm seeing people in my life pick one of these two camps. You got the wait camp, wait till it's over, wait till it gets better, wait till someone figures out a, a best practice, wait for a pandemic playbook to be written, wait for the vaccine, wait for whatever, or you're saddling up for the create camp, create a new model, create a new direction, create a new business like you're doing. And like many people that we know are doing and everyone I can see on social media, online, offline, all the time are either in camp wait or camp create. And it's so evident to me that create is the only option you have right now. This is so good. I'm actually writing down wait or create because I think that will be a good title for this show. (laughs) There you go. Because that is, I mean, it's such a clear distinction and I love it. So um, I am about to come on to the, um, my last question, which is one of my favorite questions, which is, um, I, first of all, I just, I'm so glad we finally got to really connect because you and I have a ton of mutual friends, many of whom I've interviewed on the show, as, as you realize. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm thrilled for that. And let's say we're, we're, we're staying in touch, but then a year from now, we have a moment of going, wait a second, wasn't it last year around this time that I interviewed you? And I say, wow. You know, I want to know, like, what all the things that we're going to be celebrating when we have that conversation? What are we going to be toasting? What are you looking forward to the most in the year ahead? 
Ooh, that's a good question, Robbie. You should have a podcast with 200, 400 episodes. You're so good at this. Um, so first of all, thank you for having me. It is wonderful to meet you. Um, a lot of mutual friends. So I'm thrilled we, we did this. I've had a lot of fun chatting with you. And I think we're probably going to be chatting after we uh, push the stop button. I have a feeling we'll be talking for some more time. Um, but to answer your question, um, I'm hoping, can I have two answers or no? Okay. Okay. Answer number one would be personally, I really hope that I can say to you, everyone that I care about in my life, my friends and my family have all managed to stay safe through this craziness because that's my number one fear is, you know, parents that are older, they have the autoimmune, you know, my dad's on the inhaler. And I, my biggest fear is, you know, the next year, not being able to celebrate that people that we love are here because of this madness. Okay. So that's number one. And number two, professionally, I would like to say um, that I cannot wait for you to get an advanced copy of my new book, which I've been working on diligently around the clock. And you can't see my coffee table right now, but you can see uh, there are, well, you can't see, but uh, Robbie can see that there are about 150 multicolored post-it notes littering my entire coffee table. So I'm very excited about that new project. That is so exciting. And I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. And I love that you gave a shout out to keeping everyone safe because that is sort of, I think, in the midst of us trying to create, we also have this like heaviness that we're, we're, still, we're still shouldering even when we're creating. I think it's a very both end experience. Um, this has been fantastic. How can people find you and follow your work? I am an Instagram gal at King. Fantastic. We'll add that link to the show notes. We also have your LinkedIn, your Twitter, your website, AaronKing.com. And we'll have a link to your current book, Digital Persuasion, as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Erin. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 208. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which of your favorite interviews. Do you wish you had more confidence when you're presenting via Zoom? I'm doing a listening tour right now, and I'm meeting with dozens of presenters who all are keenly interested in upping their Zoom game. If this resonates with you, I would love to chat for about 20 minutes to learn about your experience presenting on Zoom and what you have found challenging. It would be great to get your insight. These calls are helping me design a stronger certification program. Send an email to Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com and we'll schedule a Zoom chat. Are you ready to take Zoom to the next level with the 5% Advantage program? It's a four-week certification program that helps presenters grow in their confidence with Zoom, online facilitation, and virtual event design so they can reduce their tech angst and host more engaging online experiences. Learn more and get added to the waitlist for the September cohort at the5percentadvantage.com. That's the number five percentadvantage.com. If you enjoyed this episode with Erin, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, 
Have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.